Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. Today's date is November 9th, 2021. Welcome to 45 minutes of unscripted, unedited, and so far uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It is Tony in Saskatchewan podcasting one hour late because the rest of Canada has fallen back. And this is Lewis out here in BC. And uh, and I'm two hours behind now. That's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I do uh, want to commend the Yukon for joining Saskatchewan in not changing their clocks, as well as a couple of individual communities across the country. I'm thinking of Preston, BC and Ignis, Ontario as a couple examples. But uh, one day we'll only be an hour apart year round, my friend. It's the dumbest thing we do that we do on an annual basis because the dumbest thing we do is keep reelecting liberal governments. But the dumbest thing we do that we do every single year is turn our clocks back. Yeah, I don't really see a need for it in today's 24 hour a day world, but who am I to say? It's so stupid. I mean, BC voted to to uh, get rid of it, but only if Washington, Oregon, and California do it too. And that's that's just a dumb... I mean, they're not going to do it unless we do it, you know what I mean? It's like, just do it. And <laughs> because they, they say, you know what, if we do it, then we'll be in different time zones for business and stuff. And it's like, um, business is worldwide now, and we're in different time zones from everybody that we deal with. Well, exactly. So, <laughs> so what difference does it make? Well, and so, I mean, now just for the for our listeners, because we're two hours apart now, it might make it a little bit more difficult for us to uh, sync our schedules up for shows. But uh, we're going to continue to try and do our best, our best to uh, get a show out every week. Yeah, we certainly will. And uh, speaking of getting shows out, I was thinking, and we were just kind of referring to it before the show started here today, that when we started this show, we really believed that we would have a hard time finding content to do one show every two weeks. And as it's turned out, we are actually leaving content on the table with a weekly show. So um, I guess thank you to our politicians for giving us so much to talk about. Yeah, I wish it weren't the case. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, I feel like we need to get this content to you, Canada. And on that note, on the show tonight, Aaron O'Toole releases his shadow cabinet. The Liberal NDP Love Fest becomes somewhat official. The People's Party of Canada agrees to a leadership review. Quebec follows Ontario's lead. And our racist government continues its racist ways and more where do we start sir well let's just start with first um inviting our our listeners to listen to the interview i did with uh glenn alderink um he's a uh, nurse from kamloops who lost his job because uh the um BC government 
decided to suspend all healthcare workers that refuse to give their vaccine status or uh, or who refuse to get the vaccine. And um, it's a very, very interesting and eye-opening uh, discussion that he and I had. And um, so please go and listen to that. Now, let's just start with right off the top. Let's just go with the first topic you mentioned. Okay, and I will second that uh, suggestion to listen to that interview. It was very insightful. I learned a lot, and I'm actually much more interested now in what Mr. Alderink is doing. Um, and we'll talk about that more of that on future episodes. But right now, let's get into the Conservative Party of Canada's shadow cabinet. Now, Aaron O'Toole has released the names today. Oh, I won't go through all 39 or 38 uh, members of the shadow cabinet more notable ones excellent move mr o'toole thank you for using your head pierre polyev is back in finance yes that uh, so was uh i mean that was really where mr polyev shone and i mean that was that was almost like that role was made for him and he would be a great finance minister should they ever form government yeah no i agree um, I, I mean, it, there's, there's just no reason to have Pierre Polyev in any other role unless it's leader. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, I actually, I'm looking forward to him sparring with Christian Freeland because one-on-one -on -one, Pierre Polyev would tear her apart. Oh, he, he tears everyone apart one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, do you remember, do you remember that? Do you remember that um, uh, exchange he had in the House of Commons where he said, "Will the financial genius that thought that this boondoggle was, you know, a, a financially good decision, please stand up?" And then Prime Minister Justin Trudeau stood up. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was he. He's so good. House of Commons, and that's that's where uh, he really shines is in the House of Commons and in uh, in question period. I mean, that's where that's where he you get all his highlight real stuff from. Yeah, that's true. So I can't wait to see him back in the House of Commons. Now, Michael Chong was uh, appointed to Foreign Affairs. I don't think that's necessarily a bad. Uh, decision on Mr. O'Toole's part. I, I mean, Michael Chong is a good parliamentarian and experienced. He was, was once ran for leader in 2017, so uh, definitely a heavy hitter in the party. So I'm actually, you know, rather uh, interested to see how he'll do in that role. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not offended by that at all. Um, I mean, it, it's always nice to have someone who actually served as. Uh, as a you know a critic in that role or actually a minister in that role it's always nice to have someone who actually served but if you don't have someone who served then you know uh i mean michael chong's not a bad choice well i think he was in cabinet in the, in the harper government wasn't he uh he might have yeah yeah i can't remember now but i'm gonna have to look yeah. that up um what I do find a little puzzling, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Carrie Lynn Findlay, who I've never heard of, is the new defense critic. And I'd mentioned to you, what about Leona Alislev? Because I'm pretty sure she was in the Air Force. Maybe she might have been a good critic for national defense. Just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. So I mean, other than I agree. Yeah, um, that, I found that one odd. Um, Michelle Rumpelgarner is now the natural resources critic. Which she was health critic before. So I don't know if we call that a demotion for Miss Rumpelgarner, because it's certainly not as high a profile, although it may take on much more importance now with the tandem that are in environment and natural resources on the government side. Yeah. I, I don't know what to make of that one, uh, to be honest. I mean, it might become a little bit more profi- high, high profile, which you know, would be good because uh, Michelle Rempel Garner is, uh, she's like Pierre Poiliev in that her best work is in front of the camera. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it does feel like a bit of a demotion, but I mean, we'll see. Yeah. Now, um, I guess her paired up with Dan Albus, and Dan Albus is a good, strong conservative, and I guess you would know him fairly well. Uh, he stays on as environment critic, or environment and climate change, whatever the portfolio is called now. So I think the two of them should work fairly well together. But uh, yeah, I do have to raise an eyebrow about the choice of Michelle Rumpelgarner for natural resources. Yeah, I mean, Dan Albus is great. Uh I've interviewed him twice on this show. Um, and he is my, uh, my MP. Um, he's, he's one of those few politicians where when you talk to him, you feel like he's in it for the right reasons. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, he's, he's excellent. The two of them should work really well together. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I, I think that they're both really good choices. I just, like I said before, just Michelle Rempel feels, it feels like a little bit of a demotion, but. Yeah. And we can't call this a demotion because she was just elected to the House of Commons in this election, but I'm a little surprised, maybe not surprised, but disappointed is a better word that Leslie Lewis was kept out of the shadow cabinet. Because she was the, well, she's actually the only leadership rival now to Aaron O'Toole that's still left in the party. And she's out in the cold. Yeah, and I mean, we know why. I mean, she's a social conservative and and O'Toole has, like, no time for social conservatives. So he's he wants to shut them up. He wants to keep them quiet. And Leslie Lewis is one of the more high-profile social conservatives. Um, I think that that's a waste of her talents and a waste of her intelligence. I think that you could have put her in a role that her social conservatism would not come through. Maybe Um, like, uh, Oh, I mean like a, a junior portfolio or something. I mean, just to get her foot in the door and get her some experience before, you know, shuffling your, your, uh, 
shadow cabinet a year or two down the road. Um, but I mean, we, I know why he's keeping her out, but I mean, I think it's a mistake. Yeah. And I, I would say that too. Yeah, definitely a mistake. And hopefully he's just going to see how she is as an MP and then maybe slide her into a, a critic role later down the road. I, uh, I can't read that guy's mind because I'm I've lost a lot of respect for Mr. O'Toole. So. Oh, I've, I've I I don't even yeah I've lost a lot of respect for him too. I I think that uh, I don't know. I I I just hope that his time as leader is short lived. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be so blunt, but I I do. I just I just think that he's um, he's not the right guy. He's not the right fit and the re and the whole, I mean, the way can the conservatives pick their leader has gotten us like a couple leaders in a row here that just did not deserve to win. And, um, because in any other way, in any other election method would not have won. And, um, and they always sneak up the middle now. Like, it just seems like they sneak up the middle and they're everybody's third choice. And, um, and that's how they're winning. And it's, it, to me, that's, that's why we're, we're not winning elections. Yeah. And to be fair, Canada, Lewis has, has never been on team O'Toole, even when, uh, the leadership race for conservative party started last year. So you're at least you're being consistent. Well, it's more than no tool is. Consistent on very much. So, um, I mean, I, I am, I'm, I'm happy about the choice of Raquel Dancho for, uh, the sh- uh, shadow minister of, uh, of public safety. Um, her uh, her press release made uh, a lot of mention about the government uh, uh, singling out and targeting the most vetted citizens in the country and demonizing firearm owners and taking out um, their uh, I guess their frustrations with gun violence out on legal gun owners and uh, so uh, much of her letter was regarding that like much of her press conference was or, uh, sorry press release was referencing uh, how they're they're targeting um, legal firearm owners and uh, a- instead of actually you know cracking down on criminal activity um, so I, she's making a, a good step right out of the gate and I hope that it continues. Yeah. I like that about her. I mean, couple that one, uh, with a news release yesterday, well, not a news release, it was an article in the Toronto sun, um, stating once again, what we stated on this show, probably a year and a half ago already, 80% of gun crime in Toronto is committed with Lewis smuggled firearms from the united states ding 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 absolutely right so miss dancho thank you for understanding that and i believe she represents a rural manitoba riding so it probably makes sense that uh this would be the constituency that she should represent 
Yeah. And I mean, she's, and she's young. I mean, I think she's 31 years old. So, I mean, she's, she's got, uh, you know, hopefully she's got the energy level to take this, this portfolio on because it's, uh, a, uh, it's a tough one, especially right now. It is. And, uh, I think Bill Blair was moved out of public safety. So I don't remember who is in there now, but if whoever's in there now is just as dumb as Bill Blair, then Miss Dancho should have a pretty easy time taking care of him or her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill Blair is a tool. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen a former chief of police with such little grasp of what a criminal is or what makes a criminal. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. And so I'm glad he's not there anymore. I mean, that's probably the best move that Trudeau made in his cabinet shuffle. Yeah, definitely. Now let's move on to a different political party and that will be the people's party of Canada. Now it was discussed several times uh, in the news cycle over the past month and a half, would the People's Party of Canada you know, subject itself to a leader's review? The question was asked directly of Maxime Bernier. He said he would be open to it if the members wanted it. And announced today they will be having a leadership review with Maxime Bernier's blessing. Now, the rules are going to be that it will, they will be polling members who are, were members of the party before or on Election Day, September 20th. And the voting will take place starting right away, November 13th to December 2nd. The members will vote to see if they do or do not want a leadership review. I don't know the vote threshold at this point in time. It's a new release. But when we get that information for you, we will certainly pass it along to you. But I say good on you, Mr. Bernier. You've actually, you're you're walking the talk. (laughs) Who does that nowadays? Yeah. um, I'm happy to hear this because... As you know, I I called for a leadership review for the PPC because Maxime Bernier, um, I don't, I, I honestly I don't think he's he's the right guy, um, and not not because I don't like his policies because I do, I I just he he barely speaks English like his the, the PPC commercials during the uh during the election campaign all had to have subtitles for him because he does not speak english very well at all um and uh and i mean let's be real i mean like 80 percent of the country speaks english first you know um and uh and i just and and unfortunately the the media has found a way to paint him as a racist and as a bigot and an extremist and as, you know, a far right white supremacist. And uh, however unfair those characterizations are, they, they're sticking. Um, anytime you mention Maxime Bernier's name, um, even people who are conservatives uh, tend to see him as the way the media has portrayed him and it's unfortunate because i think that he's his heart is in the right place i think he's got some really good policies i there's a lot of policies he's got that i like um 
And it the PPC is truly the only conservative party in this country at the moment. And um, uh, and I just think that new blood at the helm um, is probably needed. And hopefully that person is not an extremist or uh, or anything like that, because unfortunately the party does seem to attract some people like that. Yeah, well, it, it does get some of those fringe elements. You're right. And I uh, I like Max Bernier. In any interview I've heard with him, he seems like he's a genuinely nice guy. And that seems to be what a lot of reporters say is that on a personal level, he's actually really nice. And I will say from the only one time I did get to hear him speak live, which was on the election night here in Saskatoon, he uh, he does know how to how to command a room. He has a good good presence. He he is a good speaker, despite his uh, his his uh, let's just say his flaws in English. I mean, you can understand him, but you really have to try hard. So, hence the subtitles. But yeah, I mean, his brand may be tainted too much, but I have a funny feeling he's going to survive this. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, he couldn't even. The problem is, is that you've got a. Well, a fourth place party that the leader finished fourth in his own riding. I mean, this is, I I just don't see him doing any better than that. The people in his own riding don't even like him. So, I mean, it's, you need to get a leader that's going to get the message out better than he can. And, um, I mean, I do, I'm not saying he's not a likable guy. I think he is a likable guy. I like him. Um, I just think that they need someone different. Um, I, I do, unfortunately. And I and unfortunately, I think that he is going to survive this. And the next election, there'll be a fourth-place party, and he'll finish fourth again in his own riding. And, uh, and unless this, the party wants to get serious and actually you know make a run for it they're they're gonna have to change leaders and unfortunately i mean you're seeing this in the media i mean what is it the toronto star i read an article in the toronto star this morning and trust me i don't ever like to read anything (laughs) in the toronto star but i saw this headline and i went oh because it says um, next time we need to treat uh, far-right political parties differently or something like this. And I'm thinking, okay, what's a far-right political party? So I clicked on it. And this whole article just going through is talking about the PPC and how they're a white supremacy group and all of this, and they need to treat them as such next time, and not not give them any kind of credibility, and and all of this, and and then I saw who wrote it, and she's a liberal strategist. No, oh, of course. So it, it's like, wait, wait a second. This is kind of self-serving <laughs> you know i mean this isn't an honest non-biased article this is 
I mean, I could at least, if it was like a, an editorial by one of the newspaper editors, I could actually let it slide and say, okay, you know, like it's just their personal bias going, shining through. No, this was an actual liberal who wrote it. Naturally. Like it, 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 it's so self-serving and so politically biased that, and this, this is what's passing for, for editorial content at the Toronto star. Yeah. Doesn't surprise you. They also take uh, articles from people who are CBC contributors too. So that, that tells you a lot about their bylines. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's terrible. I'm, the media in this country makes me sick. Yeah. Now, I did hear an interview with Max Bernier um, with the Liberty Coalition. And I don't really know anything about Liberty Coalition, but they did an interview with Max Bernier. And he did actually address some of the points that uh, you had brought up. And that was that he said, you know, with their their 4% showing or 5% showing of, of the votes, they would that would qualify Max to be in or the leader to be in the next leaders' debates. And Mr. Bernier actually said they were going to be polling scene, which they believe would be their most winnable riding in the next election, and he would try to run there. So I guess kudos okay. to him that he's actually gonna try for a you know a little harder for a seat. And honestly, if he if he travels the whole country doing rallies during the entire campaign like he did this time, he's not gonna win anywhere. No, I mean that's that's the problem. I mean that's why Lisa Rate lost uh, her the you know when she lost in two thousand nineteen. Uh, that's why she lost in two thousand nineteen um, was because she was out campaigning uh, for the party, not in her riding. Um, so she was out across the country campaigning, and yeah. uh, and so she lost in her own riding, which you know was an absolute like uh upset it was a total upset and, and and an absolute shame but you know that's what happens when the candidates don't focus on their own write-ins yeah exactly okay so let's quickly jump on quebec they've followed ontario's lead and decided that they're going to quit fighting with their healthcare professionals. Hello, BC. And decided that, nope, they're going to drop the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers and not have to let go of thousands of healthcare workers. <clears throat> BC. <clears throat> so now Ontario and Quebec, the most populous provinces in Canada, have both decided to drop vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. <clears throat> BC. <clears throat> Lewis's interview. Yeah. Um, so I got a question for you. Who who predicted that that was going to happen? Oh, I got to think about that. Um, he lives in the Okanagan. I was suggesting he run for leadership of the PPT. Oh, no, that's not true. Um, it was you. It was me. I think I said that a couple of weeks ago or, or even a month ago, maybe. I said that that that. Quebec and Ontario, although I did say BC as well, but I think Quebec and Ontario were going to drop their their vaccine mandates because, I mean, Quebec alone had 15,000 unvaccinated healthcare workers. It would cripple their, their uh, healthcare system like it's kind of doing in BC. 
yeah, when you had said flat out, they have to drop that. And they finally paid attention. Yeah, but they, but not in BC. My own province didn't do it, but yeah. yeah the, for, the, for those of you listeners who have not listened to Lewis's interview with Glenn Alderink, and we brought it up enough times that you, you know, you should understand that you really should listen to it. He addresses some of these concerns that, yeah, there are 4,000 healthcare workers in BC who are now out of work. So Mr. Alderink and a few colleagues have started up these, this new clinic and, Really, the, the, from the, what I gleaned from the interview is they're kind of the primary care as far as they're your diagnostics, and then they push you on to the next level. And that's something that this whole country has needed for ages. So yeah. I guess the silver lining in that dark cloud for BC is that if there's a few more Ezra Wellness Clinics around, that's actually going to help your whole system. Yeah, and if you listen to the interview, you'll find out that there's there's a number of Ezra Wellness uh, centers opening up. Um, I think there was six locations that he mentioned across BC, and uh, and that there's interest in other provinces. So, I mean, I uh, I honestly think that that's that's a part of the healthcare system that's been completely ignored, and I think it's, you know, it's something that should have been part of the healthcare system in the first place. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and, 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 and this is why we're saying you got to go listen to that interview because he, he describes exactly the services that their clinic is going to be uh, providing. And, uh, and you'll wonder why this wasn't part of the Canada Health Act in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I found myself listening to that thinking, why haven't we done this already? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to that interview, Canada, if you haven't yet. So. Yeah. And by all means, share it with your friends and family in other parts of the country, because uh, this could be the future of healthcare. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to move on to, well, we'll discuss briefly the the continued love fest between the Liberals and the NDP. Now, Aaron O'Toole is talking about the Liberal NDP coalition to keep the government alive. And the first thing I said was, well, why is this news? They've had a love fest going on since 2019. Yeah. Like, duh. <laughs> I mean, this, this is not news, Aaron. I mean, here's the thing. Did you see that Jagmeet Singh actually came out today and said uh, it's a hard no that he will not be joining a coalition with the Liberals? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that, but that's hilarious. It it is. I thought he was doing a stand-up routine. (laughs) But yeah. And that, and, and honestly, that's all I can actually think. You know, that's the, that's all I can actually um, uh, honestly say that it could have been was that he was just trying to be funny, because he's been in an unofficial coalition with them for three years, and he is now going to unofficially be in another, unofficially or officially in a coalition with the Liberals for another two or three or four years because 
the NDP are broke. They can't, they can't compete in another election. Every time there's an election, the NDP go, oh my God, not again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it's funny because, of course, Mr. Singh was already working his comedy act for the past couple of years saying, we're not going to give Justin Trudeau the election he wants. And we're going to keep this government working. And even when the liberals are saying this government isn't working, Jagmeet Singh was, we're going to keep it working. And now all he's going to do is just say, oh, yeah, we're not just going to rubber stamp everything the liberals want. And then he will rubber stamp everything the liberals want. Yeah, it is like for the past three years, it's like it's like he hasn't. Oh, wait, sorry. I keep saying three years, two years. For the past two years, he hasn't done a whole hell of a lot in terms of fighting for stuff the NDP wanted. It was just, uh, oh, the Liberals want this? Okay, we'll vote for it, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. it, it, there's been no, there's been no uh, negotiation between Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau. And the reason is because Jagmeet Singh knows that he has no leverage at all because everybody knows the NDP is broke. Yeah, that's a good point. And honestly, Justin Trudeau could easily get support from the bloc for most, if not all, of his agenda if the NDP were to say no. So you're right. Jagmeet Singh doesn't have any power whatsoever. No, none. All right, so two more points if we can get to them, and we should have enough time. Krista Freeland um, decided to flex her muscle, not that she really had any in this case, but you heard by now, Canada, uh, Air Canada CEO Michael Russo made the, well, it was kind of a dumb comment, really, that he's managed to live in Montreal for 14 years and not utilize the French language. And I fully agree you could do that, um, I haven't been to Montreal for quite some time, but I certainly had no problem speaking English anytime I visited Montreal. And now Christopher Freeland is saying, oh, he needed to apologize, and he did. But she said, and it was almost a direct quote when I said that she ordered Mr. Rousseau to improve his French skills or lose his job. Oh, I didn't realize we were still a crown corporation. Well, it is. Well, 6%. 6% is a big number. That, that makes the federal government one of, one of the, if not the largest shareholder of Air Canada. Do you think a 6% they'd be that big? Oh, absolutely. You look at any uh, major corporation, a 5% share gives you a lot of power. Hmm. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought it, that. Five percent seem is the threshold for for being able to wield your power within the corporation. So they've got a six percent share, and the reason they have a six percent share is so that they can wield their power in that corporation. So when when you've got six percent, you are able to say, "Hey, look, you, you we can we can get like the whoever has that six percent share can 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 drive." a CEO out of his position. Well, I would never have thought that. Yeah. Like this is, it's 
they they have the kind of they have almost as much power as they would as if it was a crown corporation like it, it's six percent's a lot of shares like most wow. people don't most people don't realize that that is a that that is a very large share and a, and uh gives you a lot of power well I must say I'm one of those, and here I had an insult to throw at Miss Freeland that now I can't use. Thanks. <laughs> Damn it! I wanted to hear that insult, but um, but the thing is, is that is this really the most important thing that we have to worry about right now? Because if you look at the media uh, shitstorm over this, you would think. This is the most important thing going on in the country right now. Yeah, you would think that. It certainly does catch some headlines. And honestly, yeah, there's probably more important things to worry about. A lot more important things. <laughs> so, like the, that fact is... that, like the fact that our government is about to sell Alberta down the river. Yep. Yeah, they I certainly mean, will. That's the that's the biggest one on the docket right now, and it seems to be right at the forefront, and nobody is talking about it. Nobody is saying how bad this is for Alberta, how bad this is for Western Canada. Nope, everybody's talking about how the CEO of Air Canada can't speak French. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I'll throw this in now. Well, Miss Friedland, how about you stick to what you're... Well, I can't even say what you're good at, but how about you stick to your job as finance minister and maybe get some dresses that fit a little better and learn how to speak better. Moving on. <laughs> Canada has, as we know, the most inept government, but also seems like we have the most racist federal government we've had since, well, probably the late 1800s. So October 29th was the deadline day that the federal government had to appeal the decision to pay out First Nations children that had been victimized by the child welfare system. And they chose to release at four o'clock on the Friday afternoon, October 29th, that they were indeed going to appeal that decision and keep fighting First Nation kids in court. Now, the settlement had, had said that, and the government has lost every appeal, by the way, so I'm not sure why they keep appealing. But anyway, the settlement was they were to pay $40,000 per child affected by the child welfare system. I don't even know why the federal government's fighting this on or what grounds anymore, but Mark Miller, the genius that he is, good God, there's stupid people in this cabinet. Mark Miller, who was, I think now he's Crown Indigenous Services Minister, said that, oh, well, that $40,000 is going to be the floor. And, you know, we, we just need to work out if, you know, who, if we're going to pay some people more and how much more. I can't handle this kind of stupidity, Lewis. I, I don't have it in me. Oh, my God. I, I'm just... Okay, we already know that regardless of of who's in power in this country, that the Canadian government has, well, let me rephrase that, not the Canadian government, but the the legislation in this country is the most racist legislation of any first world country on this planet. 
because we have the Indian Act, um, which is incredibly racist. And then we have this government that keeps fighting First Nations kids. I mean, most of them probably aren't even kids anymore, but no, but they were, and they were, uh, you know, really like, I don't even know how to describe this. I mean, they were just, they were victimized. And this is something that this is a court case that 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 group of people won. Those victims won. We have appealed it. I don't know how many times we've appealed it, but we've lost every appeal. Like, the, and I and I say we as in the government. We the government. Yeah. Um. Like, just pay it already. I mean, you. What is this like? You you. You sue or, or you, you, you refuse to pay veterans and First Nations in this country? Is that what this is? Because you give convicted terrorists $10 million without blinking an eye. Yeah, that's right. It's, a, it's ridiculous. And it's I can't even say it's a drop in the bucket, but compared to what this government spends, it's really not a heck of a lot of money. No. But... In the there's more category, what is a drop in the bucket for this government that currently spends, what did you say? Was it 440 some million dollars a day? They're borrowing 440 million dollars, sorry, 440 million dollars a day. Okay. So for a government that borrows 440 million dollars a day, the virtue signaling prime minister who said we are going to get 40,000 Afghan interpreters and their families and other Afghans who helped the Canadian forces out of Afghanistan. Well, we've gotten 2,500. And that number comes from General Mark Milner, who was the last uh, commanding officer of the Canadian forces in Afghanistan, who is still working to get more than 2,500 out. But the government funding, well, actually, I guess it wasn't even government. It was veterans groups who were funding safe houses in Afghanistan to the tune of $20,000 a day. And they've run out of money. They asked the government for help. And what did the government say? Oh, well, you didn't get your forms in in time. And yeah, you're asking for more than we can give. That sounds familiar. So now these interpreters are going back to their own homes because they have nowhere to go where the Taliban are knocking door to door to find these people. And let's just say it doesn't end well for them. Way to go, government. Way to go, Mr. Trudeau. You virtually signaling piece of crap. Well, to be fair, at least we don't drone the people who helped us and their families like the Americans. <laughs> Good point. I mean, that's the only shining light I can see in this. We got that. We do have that, but we also have 
a ton of people stuck in this country who want to get out and we haven't lifted a finger to get them out. Hey, put on a red t-shirt, tell them you're Canadian. Well, that didn't work out so well. Hey, go wait at this gas station for no one to show up to meet you. Why don't you hang out by the airport and not get picked up? Yeah. And uh, wasn't it the Ukrainians that got a bunch of them out for us? It was indeed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even us. It was the Ukrainians. Yeah. It's this, this, this government is embarrassing. It really is. And, and it's way to more go, than, it's more than embarrassing, Tony. I mean, it, it's getting to the point where I, I really am starting to wonder if these people hate Canada. Don't wonder they do hate Canada. Isn't I it mean, obvious? I, well, I can no, I mean, I can say you know that there's people who, who hate Canada, like who don't hate Canada, but they just misguided, right? And and I've always attributed that to you know liberals and NDPers that they you know they they love they love Canada because you know they're Canadians and they love Canada and they're but they're just misguided. But with this government, I'm actually starting to be. I'm starting to wonder if they actually hate Canada. And, and I mean, like, because of the dramatic changes that they're trying to make to this country, all, all I can honestly, the only conclusion that I can really come to is that they actually hate Canada and, or they at least hate what Canada stands for. And and they and they want to dramatically change that, and and it's getting, it's it's really getting to the point where like, are are they, are they, is this treasonous? Well, we know that Justin Trudeau hates Canada, and I th- I think you actually might have hit on something there that they hate what Canada is now. And they see a different vision for Canada. Like Trudeau, when he was elected in 2015, saying that Canada will be the first post-national state and you won't recognize it when I'm done with it. Well, that part is coming very true. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Trudeau hates Canada. He hates what it is right now. He hates our armed forces. He definitely hates people in Western Canada. He likes Tofino and Vancouver Island. But other than that, he hates Western Canada. He couldn't care less about the territories. He likes the, the Maritimes because they'll vote for him. But, yeah, as, as far as Canada, Blaine Higgs, Premier of uh, New Brunswick, said it well a couple of years ago when he said, is Canada a nation or a notion? And I don't know anymore. Yeah. I, 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 like I used to be really proud of this country. I really used to be proud of this country. Even when John Kerchan was in power, I was proud of the, proud of this country. But I I'm not there anymore. I mean, it's because the country, this government, just embarrasses us on a national, like in a, on an international stage. Whenever they have the opportunity, I mean, it's not. I mean, at least at least Justin Trudeau's not farting around the royal family and pooping his pants in front of the pope but <laughs> i mean it's 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 
it's almost that bad. It's probably worse than that. I mean, does every does anybody remember the India trip? I mean, uh, I mean, and then he, then he then I. COP26 there, he's like standing up in front of everybody telling them, oh yeah, we're going to sabotage our own economy. We're going to we're going to drive the cost of everything up so much that people in our country are going to start to starve because they're going to have to choose between heating their home this winter and buying food. Because, my God, have you seen the cost of groceries? I mean, chicken. I Six breasts of chicken are $34. Crazy. And the dairy cartel just asked for an 8.4% increase in all dairy products. Well, that's going right down to the customer. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just, today I bought a, a, a head of cauliflower. It's the smallest head of cauliflower I've ever seen. And it was six bucks. Oh, I mean, this is, it's, this is an emergency. Like, I don't know. I don't even know if my own wife believes me that this is, that there's a, there's big trouble coming down the pike this winter. Like this winter, things are getting, are going to get rough. They're going to get really rough. Well, they are because before COVID even hit, Half of Canadians were $200 or less every month from being able to pay their bills. Yep. And now with this inflation and with the way the economy has been distorted, I bet you that number is up to 60%, maybe even higher. Well, I do know that during COVID, uh, the Canadian household debt jumped. Like, every, like it's funny because like you hear people talking and you, and you see what people are buying and all this and you think... Where's all this money coming from? Because a lot of people were unemployed this past year and a half. But we're finding out that the money isn't, it's not liquid. This is, this is debt. This is more, more debt that people are taking on. And, and it's, it's like, and, and, and with groceries, groceries are already up, I believe 30% this year. Um, and I mean, this is this is going to come to a head. This is going to be a big problem. And yet, our federal government thinks that it's smart to kill cheap energy, and it's smart to pass the costs on down to the consumer when the consumer can't afford it. And this is probably. Of any time in history, this is probably the 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 most inconvenient time for prices to rise. Yes, and well, I guess we should almost wrap up. We're over our time here. I will say that we had this discussion, uh, I think, during the election campaign, and you and I actually had had said that if the Liberals won, it could be good for the Conservative Party because this exact sort of thing was going to come to a head. Now, we didn't necessarily predict that the grocery prices and whatnot were going to go up, but we had been talking about hyperinflation for well over a year, and that if the Liberal government was the one that got stuck with dealing with it, that might not bode well for them in the future. So maybe maybe it doesn't come to a head? No, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, we, we were right 
uh, you know, when we started talking about this and how it would be good for the Conservative Party, but honestly, I would rather, I would rather that this not be happening and and uh, and the conservative and it not be good for the Conservative Party because this is this is I when it when things start getting out of control like they are like the the ra- inflation rate. I mean, and don't forget the inflation rate in Canada is at like 5%. It's the highest it's been in 30 years. But that 5% does not include energy or housing. That's right. And those are the two biggest costs every single month for for uh, for Canadians. So how they don't include those numbers, I have no idea. But the inflation rate is actually much higher than 5% when you take into the into account housing and uh energy and this is it's only going to get worse people are going to go bankrupt it's going to be a bloodbath and and all i can say is stock up on ammo and and get ready canada because it's (laughs) going to be ugly yep the winter of our discontent is about to begin uh, we'll wrap it up there canada so Thank you for joining us, and you can probably look forward to another rant or two. I will remind you once again, if you have not listened to Lewis's interview with Glenn Aldering, please download it when you're done this show. But until our next show, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in D.C. Good night, night. Tony.